This show is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, the Justice League of board game podcasts. Find out more at Dicetower.com. Welcome to another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 310. Hello, everybody. I am so happy to be here doing another show with you this afternoon. It's another afternoon recording, so I am consequently high energy. High energy, Andrew. (laughs) Hello, everybody. We are the Family Gamers. As always, I am your host, Andrew, and I am joined by my lovely wife, Nitra. That's me. Andrew is one year older, but you would never know it from the way he talks. I'm older than I've ever been. (laughs) And now you're even older. And now I'm even older. Yes, that's (laughs) right. right. It was my birthday this past week. Thanks to everybody who wished happy birthday to me. And for the rest of you, thanks anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening. Uh, Thanks for listening. Yes, yes, absolutely. So it's 310. I have a fact. It is time for a fact. About the number 310. Are you ready? Yes. Dateline, September 9th, 2022. So this is a little bit more than a week ago. NASA warns of a 310-foot-wide asteroid headed Earth's way. Oh, so this is not the one from uh, a couple months ago that was like the size of six giraffes or whatever ridiculous (laughs) measurement they used? All right. So it says here, Earth cannot catch a break. After recording several hurtling asteroids in August, it looks like September won't be any different. We're only into the second week of the month and nearly a dozen asteroids flew past us. Now, NASA has issued a warning about a gargantuan 310-foot space rock headed our way. Dubbed 2008RW, it belongs to the Apollo group. It was uh, discovered in 2008, which is why it's 2008RW. It will come as close as 6.7 kilometers to Earth. So the thing is, like, you wouldn't really think that, like, that, that's, that's a lot. 6.7 million kilometers is a lot. But the thing about this is the reason why is because the thing is going so darn fast. It's going 36,756 kilometers per hour. I'm not even sure I can hold that number in my head. It's going really, really fast. More than 30,000 kilometers per hour. Yeah, it's 10.2 kilometers per second. Does that help? Yes. It's really, really fast. So basically what that means is a very slight deviation could uh, cause this to be extremely dangerous in a matter of hours, which is not enough time to like build shelters or anything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But the thing about this is really cool. So like we hear about these things, they happen, you know, it's a good excuse to have a fact for the number 310. But NASA has this thing called DART. Okay, it's a special mission they have called DART. It is the Double Asteroid Redirection Test. And this mission is, um, let's see, so it launched in November of last year. The project will use the, quote, kinetic impactor technique to deflect a near-Earth asteroid called Didymos, and it's orbiting moonlit Dimorphos. Basically, what this means is they are going to shoot something into this Didymos, asteroid yeah. and attempt to change its trajectory. But as, they're not doing that with this, no, 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 this no, no, one that's no, 310. No, but, but it's, yeah. but, like, this whole thing... This is why they're doing this mission, right, is because of these kinds of asteroids. And I just think it's really cool that NASA is basically saying, we're going to launch a, like, five-foot-wide spacecraft into space, and we're going to crash it into an asteroid to save the world. That's like a very movie thing, right? Yeah. We're yeah. proving that we can do it before it's actually necessary to save the world. Mm-hmm. Hooray! So that's my fact about episode 310, a 310-foot asteroid 
hurdled past Earth just this past week. We're still alive, so um, we're good to go. I think we're good. Yeah, we're good. You know what else is good? Mm. Our sponsor, First Move Financial. Our sponsor is pretty great. Yeah, I'm a big fan of First Move Financial for sponsoring the Family Gamers podcast. As a reminder, First Move is letting us know how they would work with a young family earning a combined $100,000 with a net worth of about $25,000 and the goals of buying a home and starting a family in the next few years. This example mentions student loan debt. So Donnie says, I would want to see which repayment plan they're currently on if they've consolidated their loans, and what the current status is. I've seen clients who were deferring payments each year, at the advice of their loan servicer, to adjust the income on their recertification. This saved them a little on monthly payments, but when you go into deferral, then all the interest you've racked up is added to the loan's principal. I know a lot of people who have discovered this to their detriment. This is a big deal because most student loans only pay interest on the principal amount, which is the amount you borrowed, not on accrued interest. So deferring the loans causes them to balloon in value. For more insights like this one, you can reach out to First Move Financial at firstmovefinancial.com familygamers to set up a free call and talk about your financial situation. Thanks so much to First Move Financial for sponsoring this episode of the show. So let's tease out what we're going to talk about in this episode. Yeah, so this was inspired by some listener feedback that we got. We won't take back talk from our kids, but we'll take it from you. And also by the fact that one of our upcoming Snap Reviews is going to be having a perfect score. And I was listening to an old episode of the Game Schooler podcast, and they were talking about like top games of 2021 and which ones they thought would stand the test of time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I realized at that moment, like, we already have a database of games that we've said are really great, mm-hmm. and we can look back at them and say, do our ratings hold up? Have they stood the test of time? And what's great about it is I've looked at the list that you put together, and I don't agree with some of your comments. So okay. I'm really looking forward to that second Discussion. half of the show. But yeah. that's what we're going to talk about in the second half of the show. We're going to talk about the stuff that we've rated perfect or near perfect and how we feel about it now. The list is going to be longer than what we actually talk about on the show, so I do recommend you head over to the show notes for this episode because Anitra does a lot of amazing work with them and you should be checking them out on a regular and if you're not shame on you I'm just kidding but (laughs) you can even if you listen on a smart device like an iPhone uh, you should be able to swipe over the show logo and see all the show notes right there wow look at that all right anyway so first we're going to talk about what we've been playing yeah let's do that all right, so we're actually close to completing the first game on our 10 by 10. <laughs> Possibly the only one we'll complete. <laughs> There's anyway. only two and a half months left in the year. I don't care. I don't care. We're going to go on a gaming binge and we're going to do it all. Anyway, and that is Royal Visit. We played a little bit more Royal Visit. I think that you pulled it out because we played Jekyll vs. Hyde and you crushed me. And I was like, well, let me give you an opportunity to crush me instead. And then I crushed and you, you crushed again, again in Royal Visit. Yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, great. <laughs> so uh, I was... Uh, master mistress of the two-player games that night yep and that's fine you know what did you have a good time i had a great time that's all i care about okay all right so that was uh the first game that's on my list the second game on my list which i guess technically went first was in fact jekyll versus hyde man this game is good mm, it's a really good game it's real good mm-hmm. yeah um, we were not lying when we <laughs> talked to Suze last week and said this game is really good and here's why and our opinions have not changed yeah but you'll hear more about that uh later But let's talk about a couple of the other games we played. Sure, let's do that. So the next game on the list is from Pencil First Games. This is Delicious. 
delicious. So this is a flip and write. Um, yeah, it's a it's a flip and write. It's game. like a two flip at the same time flip and write game. Uh, it feels a lot like Welcome Two in that you're flipping multiple cards and then having another thing that goes with each card in particular. Uh, so in this case, you flip cards and then you put tokens on each card, and you have a choice if you want to take one card and draw that out on your sheet or the other card and draw it or both cards so you have a limited choice so there's yes kind of two sheets in this game one of them is your kind of list of options that you you cross one out when you apply that option to your game board that just kind of like make sure that everybody has the opportunity to perform the same sets of actions right and the other board is your fruit and your vegetables in your garden and so you have all these different planters. You have, I think, six vegetable planters and one fruit planter. Does that sound right? That sounds right. Yeah. And um, when you draw these two cards out, you then also draw these two tokens, one that goes on each card. And those tokens, depending on the icons on the card, are either fruit up or tool up. Yep. And those tools are used to kind of do special things. They basically become wild vegetables. Or wild fruits. Or wild fruit depending on the icon on the tool and the icons on your sheet. And so what you're trying to do is fill as many of your, well, vegetable or fruit planters, really, to get the most points. And they've got like, you know, kind of tier threshold. Like if you fill this row, it's two points. If you fill the next one, it's four, whatever. Well, they've got different for every planter. And they've got placement restrictions. Yes. So the vegetable planters come in a top set and a bottom set. And both in the top and the bottom, you have... One where every fruit needs to be the same, one where every fruit needs to be different, and one where you need to do pairs of fruits. Except all of those are vegetables, not fruits. Right. Sorry. This, this game really reminded me of like a cross between basically Three Sisters and like Draftosaurus. All those placement restrictions did yeah, feel a lot like very Draftosaurus. Very right? But it's a vegetable theme game and it's a flipping right. And that's yeah. kind of where I got the Three Sisters thing. But. I don't know. I mean, it, it it was fine. I would like to play it with more players. I think that the theme, I don't know if I love this whole vegetable garden theme thing. Like Mr. Cabbage Head's Garden, we talked about a while ago. Yeah, which Didn't was love fine. It. I think I like Fleet the Dice Game more than I like Three Sisters, which is weird because I wouldn't necessarily think that fishing would be a theme that I would be going for either. Oddly, I really, really like Three Sisters. One of the gimmicks in Delicious is that they really want you to draw each fruit or oh, vegetable that's a big deal. Yeah. on the sheet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for some people, I'm sure that's going to be more of a uh, draw. Haha. <laughs> but for us, it just kind of felt like a pain. Like, wait, how do I draw a fig again? I don't remember. You I know, just, what do I do for an onion? I felt like it was filler in the game. I felt like it was a way to extend the game and make it feel more full than it actually was. I mean, there is something in the rules where it's like, these are the letters you can use. Yeah, you, you can don't just do letters draw the instead. pictures. And that, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I appreciate that they're like, hey, let me encourage the artist inside of you to draw these pictures. Like, fine, I guess. I don't know. I drew the pictures for the first game. It was okay. It, uh, I, that part didn't really add anything for me. I think for me, because this is not like a cartographer's or something where it's like, hey, just do this pattern. I think with Delicious, the next time I play it, I'm either going to go even more fully in the drawing direction be like, I'm going to pull out colored pencils and each one of these is going to be a different color to make it more visually arresting for me. Or I'm just going to 
go like full on engineer and just, you know, label everything with letters and forget the drawing. Yeah, I, I don't I don't want to take away from that because I'm sure there are people for which that whole artistic expression thing is like nice. And it's like, oh, I get to, you know, draw pictures and whatever and blah, blah, yeah. blah. It doesn't really do anything for me. So, I mean, that's where I'm at. I want to play this game with more players. We played it at two. Like, mm-hmm. The game can definitely support a lot more than that. And it'll be interesting to see how it plays out with our daughter, who is not the biggest gamer in the world, but totally loves to draw. Yeah. And, you know, we have found some games of late, like Flamecraft, which we talked about last week, that she really, really enjoyed because she enjoyed the subject matter. So the fact that this has drawing in it might appeal to her. Maybe. And- yeah, yeah. But so maybe I think not. that, yeah. you know, there's we'll a lot see. of opportunity there to bring in a more diverse gamer set yeah. than some other stuff. And I think there's value there. So I'm not totally poo-pooing the game. I don't think it's hitting the right notes for me, but that's definitely a me thing. Sure. I think that's reasonable. So that's Delicious from Pencil First Games. So I got a chance to play Tiny Turbo Cars. Okay. So you're you going to have to talk to me about this game. You were talking this up to me a couple of weeks ago and saying like, this is so cool and I really hope we can get in for review. And we did. And I haven't played it And yet. you haven't had a and chance it looks to play so it neat. I know. Well, I played it only because our two sons were like, Mom, come on, please play this game with us. I was like, I, okay, I guess we're all going to learn this game together. The part that really got me is that that same day, we ended up having some teenagers over later. And the teenage boys took to this game right away. Interesting. So Tiny Turbo Cars is an action programming racing game but instead of using cards or, or dice or something like that to do the action programming everybody gets this little controller thing that is actually a four by four sliding puzzle i like that you are supposed to mix them up and pass them to the left and then like every player flips theirs over at the same time and starts trying to program it the way they want okay so i was really curious like how is that even going to work? And the answer is the two middle rows of the four rows are your program. Okay. So okay. the top row and the bottom row are your filler, the stuff that you don't want to use. Yeah. So if you don't want something, you put them there. Got it. Okay. Right. That's neat. I like that. It is still really tough for me to do the sliding puzzle and get it to do everything I want it to do. Mm-hmm. How's the quality of the sliding? It's fine it's not the best sliding puzzle i've ever used okay. but it's better than the cheap little one dollar deal that's good i mean that's an important that would be a very important part for me yeah every once in a while you have to get things lined up exactly right to mm-hmm. slide something in but sure. most of the time it's loose enough to be pretty easily workable okay like some other games that have a real-time element the first person to be done like grabs the top token off of a stack mm-hmm. yep, yep yep and when all the players but one have finished, everybody starts a 10-second countdown for the last player to, like, get your act together because this is the time you have left. We're not going to wait for you. Right. Then everybody gets to execute their plan in finishing order. So whoever finished first goes first, etc. Not only that, the last player to go also gets a small penalty at the beginning of their action phase. It feels less punishing than it sounds, but it does feel kind of punishing. Okay. Beyond that point, all of the racing stuff makes a lot of sense. The idea here is that you're racing RC cars, tiny, tiny RC cars. So the race course is all like indoor stuff with obstacles like books and slick wet spots on a tile floor and carpet, which slows you down um, and things like that. 
your actions are things like go forward, go forward to jump, which is go forward to, but don't acknowledge the first space. Mm -hmm. Go backward one space, go diagonally left, go diagonally right. And there's a couple of other things like uh, regain your power tokens, which are your life. Uh, Shoot a missile directly in front of you and hit, (laughs) you know, if there's somebody directly in front of you, you hit them and make them lose some life. But unless you plan things out super, super carefully, you will hit either other cars or obstacles along your way. They make you lose your battery power for life. And if you are ever completely out of battery power, you turn your car on its side to show that it's drained. If you still have actions remaining, each action refills one of your batteries. And if you get back up to full, well, whenever you get back up to full, then you've put your car back on its wheels and continue your action if you still have any more steps you can do. Sure. So all that was good, both when I played it and when I watched the teenagers play it. The one thing I didn't really like was that the race course just felt too long. This seems like the kind of game where you really should only go three or four rounds to play the entire thing, you know, get somebody get from the beginning to the end. And it was taking us more like six or seven. Maybe that was poor planning on our part (laughs) because we were new, but... I'm thinking that if that seems to continue, I might just take one of these boards out because that's the other thing is the race course is modular boards. Basically, you have the start and the finish and then everything else in between is just random. Maybe we'll just take one of those boards out and make the race course shorter in the future. Sure, that might help. So that was Tiny Turbo Cars. I'm looking forward to playing it again, especially because this is one where I think the subject matter just gets boys. <laughs> and it really does. Okay. And that's just about it. The only other game that I know of that we played this week was Sunset Over Water. Yeah, we played the pocket edition of Sunset Over Water, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago. It was on pre-order. There was a special pre-order bonus. We released a snap review for it, so you're going to hear that in the break. So there's really no point in talking about it now because you're going to get our... (laughs) (laughs) The one thing that I would say that we didn't include in the snap review is that if this has looked like an interesting game and you just haven't had a chance to buy it before now... Buy the Pocket Edition. It's identical, but it's cheaper and smaller. It will not be a table hog like the regular Sunset Over Water. I mean, the art is a primary component in this game, so it's not a bad thing for it to be a table hog in that sense. I'm not saying get rid of your copy if you have the (laughs) full-size copy, but if you don't, I don't really see a reason to now buy the full-size one rather than having the Pocket Unless you want... Unless you really want Beth Sobel's art to be, like, nice and big. I mean, does that sound like a bad thing? Uh, no, but it's, it's still nice even on the pocket right. size cards. Okay. All right. Anyway. So why don't we do this? Why don't we welcome our new community members and then we'll take a break. And then when we come back, we'll talk about uh, games that we've rated before. How's that sound? Yeah, let's do that. All right. I am going to get this one started. So a couple of weeks ago, we only had a few new people, but now we have a bunch. So yeah, I am very excited to say welcome to David. Welcome to Michelle. Welcome to Jason. Welcome to Tally. I wonder if that's Tolly, like from Mass Effect. I don't know. Oh, anyway. Uh, welcome to JJ. Welcome to Brian. And we had a couple of groups join the Family Gamers community. Welcome to our friends over at Kidsplaining slash Play the Game, Allison and Daniel Burrell. Welcome to the Family Gamers community. And also welcome to a group called Reset Summer Camp. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm really interested in what you guys do. It seems like a pretty unique thing. So 
Welcome everybody to the community. Head over to the post where, where I posted a picture of a whale doing whale things. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and say hello to our new community members. Talk about maybe some games that you've been playing lately. One last thing before we go to our break. Oh, do you want to share news now? We have some news. Oh, let's talk about the news. Okay. So I have been working extremely hard with the folks at QsCon. These are folks, of course, that Anitra, you met last year. I did. Unfortunately, you can't come to QsCon this year. You have a scheduling uh, conflict. disagreement, <laughs> conflict, whatever. But I will be going to QsCon. And I will be bringing Asher back to QsCon, who I understand was a bit of a star of the show. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also bringing Elliot. And the thing that we're very excited about is that we are going to be sponsoring, partnering with QsCon to run the kids and family section of the gaming hall. So this means that we're going to be in that area for most of the, you know, regular business yeah. hours, even though it's on the weekend, helping families play games, maybe just being available to play games, you know, whatever games, we can possibly you know, do. We'll have our banner up. So you can see our Family Gamers banner, take some pictures, whatever you want to do. We're really, really excited about it. It's super cool. This is something that we've been kind of banding about for a little while, and we finally kind of got enough of the parameters in place that we can actually do this at QsCon. So we're really excited about that. If you are curious about QsCon, it is September 29th through October 2nd in, unsurprisingly, Syracuse, New York. That's right. Tickets are relatively inexpensive. You can get VIP badges and stuff like that. They just announced Grant Lyon is going to be there. I'm hoping he's going to do a comedy show as well. I bet he'll do something. So it promises to be a pretty good time. And especially if you're hearing this and you are in that kind of upstate western New York area where Syracuse is, we would love to see you at the show. Well, let's take a break. And when we come back, we are going to talk about our top-rated review games. All right. We'll be right back. Do you know, artists call the hour right after sunrise and the hour right before sunset the golden hour. Those two times of day, you get beautiful light that makes everything in the landscape pretty. Even better if your landscape includes features like water or flowers, because then you can have a sunset, but it's over water. This is a snap review for... Sunset Over Water, the Pocket Edition. Sunset Over Water and Sunset Over Water Pocket Edition is a game of landscape painting for one to four players that takes less than 30 minutes. It was designed by Steve Finn, Beth Sobel, and Eduardo Baroff, and it's published by Pencil First Games. So with names like that, let's talk about that art. The largest component of this game are the landscape cards, which depict a variety of beautiful paintings done by Beth Sobel. Each landscape card has icons in its upper left corner to remind you what natural features it showcases. The iconography all over this game is incredibly clear, even though the cards are really small. Even the painter meeples have been thoughtfully designed with subtle differences between them and a palette that makes them friendly even to most colorblind players. My only quibble with the art is that all of the card backs have symmetrical designs on them but all of the cards have a single correct orientation. I really wish I could tell which way is up before I flip a card over. I actually would go one further and say that I love the design aesthetic, but 
I think they went a little bit too far with the card backs. It's hard to understand which one they are, and when you have the game on the table, you can't see the card backs anyway. So let's talk about the mechanics of Sunset Over Water and how to play the game. So you start by laying out landscape cards in a 5x5 five five grid, along with a row of commission cards and a daily goal. Every player selects a painter meeple and their corresponding planning cards. Each round starts with planning. Every player simultaneously draws the top three cards of their planning deck and chooses one to govern their day. Planning cards have a time. When you wake up and get out there to paint. A hike. How far your artist can move and in which directions they can go. And a painting. How many landscapes you can collect on that day. Once everyone has chosen their planning card, they return their unchosen cards to the bottom of their deck and reveal their choice. The player with the earliest time goes first in the next phase of the game. In the trick phase, you move your artist token around within the landscape grid. You may pass through other artists, but you cannot end your movement in the same space as one. You may not pass through an empty space. Once your movement is complete, you choose some landscapes to paint. You may take any that you've passed through, as long as another artist hasn't claimed them by sitting on them. Take up to the number allowed by your chosen planning card. Then at the end of your turn, you may sell paintings, turning them in to fulfill commission cards. This is the largest source of points in the game. You might also be able to claim the daily goal, but since all of the goals are for the last person to do something, you'd better hope no one else takes it after you. Landscape cards and commission cards are not restocked until everyone has completed their turn for this round. So going first always gives you the most choices. After six rounds, the game is over. Add up points from commission cards and daily goals, add a few points for symbols left on the landscape paintings that you still have, and that's your final score. So Andrew, what did we expect from this game? Well, this is a Beth Sobel illustrated game. We knew it was gonna be gorgeous. Since it's pocket edition, it promised to take Sunset Over Water and shrink it down to a portable size. I wondered if it would make any significant changes to the gameplay, but as far as we can tell, it's an exact copy, just pocket-sized. I knew the original Sunset Over Water was beautiful and peaceful, and I expected the same thing here. That's what I got. Anitra, what surprised you about this game? I did not expect this game to go so quickly. It seemed pretty complex the first time we set it up. There's the whole grid and everything, but the mechanics were all really familiar, and the rhythm of the game just makes sense to me. You plan, you travel, you paint, you sell. Done. I can see how the regular version of this game would definitely be a table hog. But the pocket edition fits nicely even on a small table. It really is portable. I've played games with this kind of tension in them before. Filler, which is a game that we like from Green Couch Games, has this same kind of mechanic where you mm -hmm. choose which card you want to play and the order of execution is balanced by the time on the card, which determines the player order. It is a great mechanic, which leads to some really tough decisions for which cards you end up wanting to play. Both the regular and the pocket edition are really nice games for a peaceful and still competitive play experience. There's a little bit of player versus player when you're considering what cards to take because you might be denying players the cards they want or the ones you think they want. We like playing this game and for me, the theme here definitely works better than that other game that I mentioned, Filler. 
So we're going to give Sunset Overwater Pocket Edition the same rating we gave filler. Four and a half sunsets in this case out of five. And that's Sunset Overwater Pocket Edition in, in a, a snap. snap. And we're back. Hello. So I'm going to go slightly more into the back talk that inspired us to do this episode this way. I had already been thinking about, do our reviews stand the test of time? Mm -hmm. I think most of them do. Mm -hmm. But we got this email from a listener named Alex. And he said he saw our video about Magic Mountain. And he went to our site looking for other reviews of what have we rated really, really well. And he couldn't figure it out. And I don't blame him. <laughs> we have something like 460 reviews on the website at this point. So I did some of the work and pulled out all of our top reviews so that we could talk about some of them on this podcast and so that I can make a dedicated page to be like, hey, if you just want to know which ones we think are really, really awesome, here they are. So thanks for the inspiration, Alex. All right. So let's get into it. So it turns out, that maybe our criteria is a little harsher on written reviews <laughs> than, <laughs> yeah. than snap reviews. And I think that a big part of this is kind of the philosophy that we apply to these reviews. So snap reviews typically are going to apply to a game that's a little bit more concise of a game, a little bit smaller of a game, something that is more designed to be maybe a filler, maybe like a, a game that has a, a very focused intent to it, right? And so... When you have a game like that where you're like, look, you really need to appreciate this game for what it's trying to do, and it's only trying to do one thing, but do that one thing really well, if it succeeds at that, it's easier to give it a higher rating. Yeah. So before we get into the list, I'm looking at our list of snap reviews that we gave perfect ratings. Some of these games are definitely not for everybody, but it should be really easy to tell if you are in the target audience or not. And if you're in the target audience, we are sure you will like them. Okay, so let's start at the top. So we only have one game out of the 400 and whatever games that we've reviewed. One game that is a written review, so that's only like 300 of them, uh, that we gave a perfect score to. Yeah. That is Dinosaur Tea Party. Yep. Dinosaur Tea Party has excellent art. It takes those guess who mechanics and just tweaks them a little bit and turns them up and makes it something that's still really approachable, but honestly more fun. And every time that we have played this with a family, whether that family is kids, adults, grandparents, everybody, it is always a good time. It yep. is always fun. Yep. I think that this review absolutely stands the test of time. Some of our kids don't like this game, and that's fine. That's on them. <laughs> Also, they say they don't like it, but we haven't played it in a while. Right. And I wonder if we pulled it out, if they would change their tune. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they were definitely younger when we played that game. So a Dinosaur Tea Party, a perfect 10. And it is a perfect 10. It is. All right, let's talk about some snap reviews. Okay. So I think this might be the first snap review we ever gave a perfect score was Drop It. Mm -hmm. I recommend this game to people all, all the time. All the time. All the time. This is very much one of those games that has a defined thing that it's trying to do, and it does it extremely well. It has fantastic table presence. It's great. It scales well for two, three, or four players. Yeah. It, it just 
is is very good. It's a dexterity game, but it doesn't have a high level of dexterity. You can still play this if you aren't dexterous at all. Yeah, it's got a really wide audience, much like Dinosaur Tea Party. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a game that a three-year-old can play and enjoy. Serious hardcore gamers can play this as a filler and enjoy it and be super competitive with it. And it spans that whole range really, really well by doing one thing really, really well. Right. Right. And that's exactly kind of what this snap review format really focuses on and highlights. And uh, and that's why we gave it a perfect score. Perfect five. All right. Next one on the list is Similo. So when we reviewed Similo, we only had, I think, two of the decks. And yes. at this point, they're up to like six or seven. Or, there's a whole <laughs> bunch of them. There are so many. Right. It's proliferated so much because the game is good. The game is cheap. The game is super easy to teach and start playing. It's also very easy to drop in and drop out of, which I think is actually really important for a game like this that can support a lot of players. Like, Drop It is a two, three, or four player game. Yes. So that that's all you're doing, right? Yeah. But Similo is a game that functions kind of like a party game. It is very easy to drop in and drop out, which is really, really important. Well, so nobody wants a game with eight players and then one person's like, ah, I'm done, and then you can't keep playing. Right. I mean, Similo is a cooperative game, which already makes it easier to allow for drop in, drop out. But it's a cooperative game that scales from two people to however many you can fit around the table. Mm -hmm. So does Similo stand the test of time? I, I think Similo stands the test of time, yes. All right. <laughs> Next one on the list, we don't know as much about. This was a game that was actually reviewed by Staff Writer Nick. This was Fairy Season. Now, what I can tell you about Fairy Season is that he still talks about it, and he still talks about how his parents always want him to bring it over and always want to play this game, and his father super, 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 super loves it. Yeah. You and I have literally never played this game, but it seems good, and Nick, who reviewed it, rated it a five for a reason. It it has become a mainstay for his family. Right, and so my challenge to all of the listeners out there is please go to the Family Gamers community and give Nick grief until he talks about whether or not he still believes that Fairy Season is five out of five. <laughs> I will not moderate any posts giving Nick grief as long as they are polite and good-natured. <laughs> all right. That's what I'm going to say. Next on the list is a game that we still talk about and laugh, and it is from Haba, Fiverr Findin'. So I think maybe what pushed us to a five rather than like a four and a half final rating on this game was how much our now teenager loved it and would continually destroy us at the game. <laughs> I mean, you and I both very much enjoy this game. This is the first game I think we've talked about that has a little bit more focused audience. Fiverr Findin' is pretty thinky. It's got a real-time element. It's an abstract game. If any of those are kind of like, nah, that's not really my thing, you might not like Fiverr Findin'. Yeah, it's definitely a game where it's not difficult to understand how to play the game, but you might look at those discrete mechanics and be like, I don't want to rush. Or, or it could be a game that is very dependent on mood. You could say, you know yeah. what, this is not the time for this yeah. game. You know what I mean? Right? Exactly. Like if you're in a, a gentle rain mood, you're not in a fiber finded mood. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So does it stand the test of time? I think it does, although I think the five on this one is a little bit weaker. Like if someone okay. made an argument to me that this does not deserve a perfect score, I would hear them out. Okay. All right. 
Well, and I kind of feel the same way about Shifting Stones, which is the next one on the list. So yeah. I love this game, and I love the puzzle of this game. And it is incredibly simple to teach. It's beautiful on the table. I think the component quality is fantastic. We do have a little bit of trouble getting this one to the table, and I think it's because of the kids not loving it. It's partly the kids not loving it. It's partly that, I mean, let's compare it directly to Fiverr Finding, because they're both abstract games with a very thinky puzzle involved. Shifting Stones requires more setup, more maintenance, I guess, would be a good way to say it, because you're taking cards, discarding cards, like back and forth, you're flipping tiles over. Um, whereas Fiverr Finding is, you roll the dice, and everybody draws on their whiteboard. Mm-hmm. It's not a huge amount of maintenance. Like, let me get this straight. But that little bit of extra maintenance, having to hold more of it kind of in your head of, I need to do this movement, and then I need to do this movement, but how can I plan if somebody else moves this? How can I pivot? It is definitely tougher for kids or anyone who has trouble visualizing all of those moves in their head. Yeah, but I don't think that really takes away from the game per se i don't think it takes away from the game but like all of those things so and it's not an onerous setup it's not like everybody has a nine tile board it's one nine tile board it's not right you know that big of a deal i guess i fall with this one in maybe the same place that you were describing with fiber find in like if somebody really wanted to negotiate their way into a four and a half instead of a five like i probably would relent on that but i still stand by thinking this is an excellent excellent game I think it's an excellent game. Of all the games we've talked about so far, this one for me has the most of a tendency to feel a little samey play after play. Mm -hmm. But I think the key for that is just not to play it a bunch back to back. (laughs) I mean, I suppose so. But like, you know, that's really the tell of a truly perfect game, right? Is is that if you you want to just play it over and over and play it over and over and over again? Well, and that's why I'm saying I feel like it's a little weaker than a five. I guess okay. it's still it's still yeah. very good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So does this one stand the test of time? Maybe that's our very professional <laughs> opinion on that one. That's the content you come here to listen for. All right. So let's just run down these just really, really quickly. So drop it. This is published by Cosmos. Mm-hmm. Uh, Similo is published by Horrible Guild. Luma Flat River Group ish, maybe yeah, Flat River Group, I guess. Fairy Season is published by Good Games. Fiverr Finding published by Haba. Shifting Stones published by Game Right. So we don't have any hobby horses yet. <laughs> the next one also is not one of those publishers. It is Detective. In this case, Bloody Red Roses. This is from DV Games. So this one is a little bit of a departure because this is one of those you're only going to play it once mm-hmm. games. You're solving a mystery, but. We were so taken with this when we played it, and it was so unlike any other mystery-solving game, while still being very approachable, feeling more like a game than like a puzzle, because most of the mystery-type things we've done, exit boxes and all that, they feel like a puzzle. Like, it doesn't matter how many people are playing. More people means you get more ideas, but it's just a thing. Detective has mechanics in there that make it really matter how many people are playing. You are playing out cards from your hand for people to see clues. Yeah, it's really neat. It is really, really neat and really well put together. Anybody who enjoys mystery solving and board games, I would recommend them this game, that they should try it. 
it is non-destructible. So much like unlock boxes, even though you're only going to play it once, you could buy it and then pass it along to a friend for them to play. Yep. So I I think this one does stand the test of time. Yeah. You know, it's it's truly a remarkable system. I would love to see more in this system. I didn't like the deckscape quite as much as yeah, I liked the deckscape the was fine. one, yeah. which they're very, very similar. But um, yeah, it's a brilliant system. It, really it is. is. It is. So, so that one does stand the test of time. The next one on the list, Combo Clash. I don't even know who the publisher is for this anymore. It was Hub Games. Hub Games is on pause, I guess. So, yeah. uh, gosh, if anybody out there knows who the publisher officially is, Rory, I'm sure you know. <laughs> but Combo Clash. So Combo Clash is this game where you set out a mm, five by five grid, I think, with the stack in the middle. So it's yes, you know, 24 tiles that are on the board and there are all these animals and all the different animals have different abilities and you're kind of trying to trigger abilities off of abilities to create these combos. This is a game that could very easily have just been some abstract set collection kind of game, but by theming it with these animal fighters, there's something about it that it works remarkably well, even though like animal fighters have nothing to do with, (laughs) with what you're actually doing in the game. Mm Mm-hmm. But somehow they make it work, even to the point where, for me, it was pretty easy to remember which special power each animal had. And this is one of those games that it's been, I think, two years since we reviewed it. Our kids still pull it out and play it regularly. I mean, it's a super fun. I really like the presentation of this game with the, kind of the cloth board. Mm-hmm. It's it's really smart design. It's tight. It's super tight, which I really, really enjoy. Yeah. <sighs> I don't... Mm, this is another one of those, like, I probably would let someone talk me into a four and a half on Combo Clash. Um, because I think I kind of want it to be a little bit bigger of a game than it is, even though I appreciate the tightness of the game and how small the game kind of keeps itself. It keeps itself very focused. There's something about it that makes me want it to be bigger. Well, I don't know what that disconnect is, but you know, I think because of that, if somebody tried to talk me into dropping this down a, a tiny bit, I probably would be fine with that. It's funny because I'm looking back at it and thinking that for me, it felt like a bigger game when we played it at four players. Okay. But it's one of those, it feels like a bigger game because there's less predictability of what's still going to be on the board the next time your turn comes around sort of deal. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I actually much preferred this game at two players, and I think our kids do too. Yep. So, what do you think? Does Combo Clash Perfect Score stand the test of time? I think so, but like you, it could be argued into like, eh, it's not perfect. So like you're slightly higher on this one than I am, but I'm slightly higher on Shifting Stones than you are, but none of these are going below a four and a half. Right. Right. Yeah, they're still pretty excellent. Okay, that brings us into, I'm going to change the order up a little bit here. We've got three more uh, younger games and then one more kind of adult game, I guess. And I'm going to go with that one first, which is Viral the Hive Expansion. This is weird because it's an expansion. We did not rate the original viral perfectly. We said it was good. We enjoyed it. It had some shortcomings. Mm -hmm. The Hive expansion fixes most of those shortcomings and turns viral from being a very good game into an excellent game. 
We try not to be those people who are like, oh, this game is great, but only if you get XYZ or if you love this game, you have to get. There's but a few this is, exceptions to that. <laughs> but but this is but this is one game where that is a hundred percent true. Yeah. It really, really you should get the hive expansion if you have viral. I, I will take a slight tangent here to say if you have Ticket to Ride, you really need to get the 1910 expansion. That's pretty much a must. If you have Ticket to Ride Europe, you really need to get the 1912 expansion. Uh, let's <laughs> see what else. If you have Lords of Waterdeep, you absolutely need to get the Scoundrels of Skullport expansion. If you have Tesla versus Edison, you absolutely need to get the Powering Up <laughs> expansion. I think almost every other expansion that I can think of is optional. <laughs> At least from my perspective. So the thing about all of those expansions you named, and it's true with Viral the Hive, is they are not adding new things simply for the sake of adding more stuff to the game. Right. They are adding some more stuff to the game, but they're doing it in a thoughtful way that fixes issues, fixes problems from the first edition. Mm-hmm. Totally agree with that. Yep. So I absolutely think Viral the Hive expansion stands the test of time. I would absolutely uh, give yes. it a five again. So um, big giant thumbs up on that one. Next one is uh, another game that was reviewed by other writers for the Family Games website, but I think we have a little bit more exposure to this one, <laughs> and that is Disney It's a Small World. Okay. This game is so cute, mm -hmm. and it hits so well at its target audience. So this is not a game for your serious game night, not even as a filler game. <laughs> this is a game for kids. It is a game for kids to play together or for parents to play with their kids and not feel like they're losing their mind. So here's what I'm going to say about It's a Small World. This is the game that cemented for me that Funko was taking their industrial design seriously. Yeah. Because we had played Pan Am and it was excellent. We had played Last Defense and the kind of design with the hybrid app experience was very, very good. Very well done, yeah. But this game... The way they engineered the rotating board was smart, it was unobtrusive, and it was way more durable than I would have expected out of a game at this price point. I was really impressed with their design chops in terms of getting a lot out of the materials. And doing it in such a way that it's approachable for little kids mm -hmm. And is constructed in such a way that you're not really going to be worried about your four or five-year-old kid accidentally breaking right. the game. This stuff just kind of comes apart. It's almost like a race car is designed to break apart. <laughs> it doesn't break, but it, it comes apart easily. It doesn't resist in ways that would cause pieces to break. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just really smart the way that it's put together and the accommodations that it makes. Well, and even I'm looking back at some of the pictures I attached to the review even the design of like the little clock tower that tells you how close you're getting to the end of the game, but it also has this little tray to hold the deck of cards and the cards that people have earned. All of that is stuff that most of the time I would just be like, okay, that's nice. You know, it's handy. But when you're playing with little kids, it is so great to be like, this is the spot you put your card now that we've earned it. Like, this is what you do. Very concrete, just such a good way to pull it all together. The art is cute. This is not a game that overstays its welcome, which is extra important when we're talking about a kid's game. And uh, just like 
every other game we've talked about so far, even though we didn't review it, the people who did, uh, Corey and his family, still have it in their collection because it's just that good. Yeah, and I think really, you know, <laughs> for people like us that are forced to cycle through so many titles, if it remains in the collection, that says a lot, right? Yeah. Which I, I think pretty much all of these games, except for maybe the detective game, because we can't play it again. I think all of the rest of them are still in our collection. So a hundred percent, all yep. of the rest of them are still in the collections of the reviewers who reviewed them. Right. Okay. So the last two games are Animal Upon Animal Junior and Rhino Hero Junior. So these are just Habba hitting it out of the park for your littlest gamers. Once again, this is very much know the target audience. The target audience is like age six and under. <laughs> Within that audience, mm -hmm. these games are practically perfect. There are some other Habit games for that age range we've looked at, and they're, they're good, but they have more shortcomings. Mm -hmm. These two do not. These two were fun to play even as an adult. They were fun for our older kids to play. I think we've still got animal upon animal junior because our son yep. elliot was like oh i like this way better than the hard animal upon animal <laughs> i think we gave rhino hero junior to our helpers our little we did helpers. we did that's why we don't have that one but <laughs> yeah it's one of the rare exceptions but it's like look it's for ages six and under and our youngest is now eight right so just excellent execution for those little gamers right animal upon animal is a game that certainly kids can play but it's not necessarily a kid's game kind of is but it doesn't have to be right well, and if you've got a little perfectionist in your family, <laughs> animal upon animal is going to be very frustrating for them mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because you can't be a perfectionist with it. Right. Junior solves that problem. Ken in junior, yeah. Right. So, do these two games stand the test of time? Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we have a, another list here, Anitra, and this is the games that are almost perfect, but not quite. Well, There's a lot of them. So, why don't we do this? This is how we're going to close out the show. We're going to go back and forth with this last list of just the written reviews and just answer with a yes or no. Okay. Would we still rate this? These are above nine. Is that what this is? These are nine and, above? Nine and a half out of nine ten. Nine and a half out of ten. Yep. Okay. So there are, it looks like around a dozen on this list. About that. So are you ready? This is like, uh, what do they call it? Lightning round? Sure. This is the lightning round. Okay. This, yes. is, this is the, are these games still good lightning round? Would we still consider these games almost perfect? All right. Do you want to go first or shall I? I'll go first. Okay. King Domino. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say no. Okay. Because I think it's evolved. All right. I think that there are games that do the same thing, only they do more. Most of just them in the King Domino series. Well, yeah. that's fine. Yeah. But if All there's right. it, like, I, I truly think that Origins has completely replaced it. Okay. I respect it as a classic that, once again, knows what it's doing and does it very well. It's kind of like comparing the small city ticket to rides with the original ticket to ride. Sure. I think that's fair. But like, I would no longer give Catan the rating that I would have given Catan when it first came out. Just sure. Because the industry has grown up around it. And I think that's a big part of this as well. Sure. So King Domino, no, but because of the growth, not because I think that our review was premature. Sure. Okay. I think we're divided on that one, but that's okay. That's okay. What about Draftosaurus? Oh, yes. Yes. It's an awesome game. <laughs> 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 yep, I agree with you. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with you at all. How about Honga? I think yes. I've never seen an action selection game quite as deep and still mechanically simple as Honga. I think it does a very, very good job at that. Okay. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with the yes on that one. What about The Grim Masquerade? Man, I love this game. Mm-hmm. 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 So is that a yes? I think it still deserves that almost perfect scoring. Okay. Sure. I think 
everybody yes. listening yes. already knows yes. <laughs> the next one is skull Hollow. Yes. <laughs> the answer is yes <laughs> This is why we were so excited for Mole yes. Peak. Yes. 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 Okay. Yes. Yes. It's still gorgeous. It's still fun. The asymmetry is great. I really, I pretty much let Asher choose what he wants to be, whether he wants to be one of the big beasts or whether he wants to be the foxen. It doesn't really matter to me. It's just super fun and super interesting. And very approachable. Yes. What about mountains? Out of all the games on this list, this one surprised me the most. Mm-hmm. But Yes. I still recommend this frequently when people ask about games that don't feel little kid-like that kids can play. And Mountains fills that so perfectly. Awesome. Uh, How about the Downforce expansions? I'm going to say yes here. I think that they do a really, really good job of adding different kinds of things into Downforce without taking away from the core of what Downforce is. I don't love Downforce as much as Corey loves Downforce, who wrote the original Downforce review and that's the true. expansion reviews. But that's my take on the game system as a whole. Like, I enjoy playing it. I might not enjoy it because I stink at it. Like, that might be the problem. I'm not really sure. Well, and I do agree with Corey's take. The reason why he gave the expansions an almost perfect score and the original Downforce something less, still good, is because... He- the expansions added a little bit that he felt fixed some of the problems mm-hmm. in the original downforce. Not perfectly, but well. All right. How about Unmatched Cobble and yes. Fog? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How about Unmatched Battle of Legends Volume 2? Well, I'm supposed to ask you about that. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is yes. Yes, 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 yes. I think, who is your least favorite character in Cobble and Fog? My least favorite yeah. in Cobble and Fog. Mm-hmm. So we've got... The Invisible Man, mm-hmm. Jekyll and Hyde, mm-hmm. Sherlock Holmes, mm-hmm. and Dracula. Mm-hmm. My least favorite is Dracula. Yeah, me too. I think he is the least interesting. Yes, that's exactly it. He's not a super, super hard hitter like we've seen in some of the other unmatched mm-hmm. variations. But in that set, he's the hard hitter. He's the like swoop up, attack, leave type. I think when I say interesting, it's not even that. It's not even like he's really good at what he does kind of thing. Like, but for me, like when you play with Sherlock Holmes, you're like, oh, this thing oh, that they're yeah. doing. Oh, it's so neat oh, how yeah. they're working. Mm-hmm. The mechanics that you would expect out of the greatest detective, you know, into this. P.S. If you ever do a Batman one, I'm buying it yesterday. Um <laughs> <laughs> but but also the same is true with Jekyll and Hyde, which mm-hmm. which has a lot of it was very reminiscent of Alice, yeah. the way that uh, Jekyll and Hyde would, would flip back and forth. I love the Invisible Man and the fog tokens and the kind of the teleportation thing. They're like like there were these really cool things that really wove themselves kind of into who these characters were and the intrigue of these characters. And Dracula was just like, "Yo, I'm a vampire." Like, I'm a suck fine. your blood. Yeah, it just it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, it just didn't, he was less really interesting. Super grab me, but, but but I think I think Cobble and Fog is still the four character set that we recommend the most although it might eventually be surpassed by battle of legends volume 2 so let's talk about battle of legends volume 2 so in battle of legends volume 2 you have yenenga yep you have patroclus and achilles yep you have sun wukong the monkey king Mm -hmm. and you have bloody mary yeah so all of those characters are really interesting i don't know if i ever played with the monkey king He's uh, chaotic. (laughs) It's what he is. Okay. So who's your least favorite in that set? My least favorite in that set is 
Bloody Mary. But even then, I really appreciate what makes the Bloody Mary character unique. The whole threes thing. The threes, the really kind of leaning into this character is terrifying Mm -hmm. in a way that no other set has with the possible exception of (laughs) (laughs) T-Rex. Well, it's a whole different thing. But I I mean, I guess I see where you're coming from. I'm going to have to say Sun Wukong only because I don't think I ever played him. And I feel like that must mean that at least in my lizard brain, he's the least interesting to me. I don't know. I remember I was really, really into playing as Bloody Mary as soon as we got it out because she's so freaking creepy. But um, who's your favorite in that set? Oh, my favorite is Yananga. Yeah, that's what I figured. Mine is is Patroclus and Achilles. Yananga has great support from her archers mm-hmm. um, who she can also bring back. Yeah, super annoying. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> and is one of the few sets I've played with that is exclusively ranged. Right. So it requires a different strategy of you want to stay out of out of range a lot of the time and just like plink away at people. But there are still some really powerful attacks in there. All right. So, Anisha, how do you feel about Pan Am? <laughs> well, considering that you already mentioned this earlier, <laughs> yes, Pan Am is excellent. I think the only thing we really dinged it for is that three players is so cutthroat when yeah, two players think... and four players is not. it. It's not a bad thing. It is just weird. It's just different. I don't even think weird is... is I think it's just something you need to be prepared for. Like, because if you play a two-player game, you're like, oh, hey, let's just add one more person. Oh, my gosh. Like, you just need to be ready for it. Or if you've played a four-player game and you're like, oh, well, this one person has to go. Like, let's play again. Whatever. Even comparing three-player to four-player, four-player is a tight game, but nobody can do all the things they want. And three player is just like super cutthroat. Yeah. Like I have to steal opportunities <laughs> from you. I think that's the only reason we dinged it at all. It's perilously close to being a 10. Yeah. I mean, it was our game of the year. The year <laughs> yes, that it, came out, so. it was. Yeah. How about Stop Thief? Oh, this is a tough one. First of all, there were two editions that came out even from Restoration. So yeah. just be aware of that. I... I think I'm going to say I don't think so on Stop Thief. It, I mean, it's it's the best version of Stop Thief, but I do feel like it's got kind of some of the trappings of the game that it was. You know, I mean, because I mean, obviously, we just spent a whole bunch of time talking about Unmatched and we talked about Unmatched on, on last week's show. Um, and there's other games. We talked about Dinosaur Tea Party. Mm-hmm. Restoration does an incredible job with this yes, work they that they're doing and, and the way that they kind of massage stuff and change it and whatever. And this is one where I just feel like they kept it so close to the original that it still feels like an older game. Uh, and yeah. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like, I'm not like raw, raw cult of the new, but like, it just, it feels old and it's still fun. It's just, it's not a game that I go to. So we didn't write the review for this one once again. Well, we, but we played a bunch of it before this review came out. But we did. I was resistant to even being involved in this review because my earlier experience with the first restoration version of Stop Thief was just negative. Well, our kids super didn't like it. I super didn't like it. <laughs> I can appreciate what it was doing, but I just felt like I was always four or five steps behind like the rest of the crowd and just could never catch up. Mm-hmm. Now, the fact that it now has a co-op mode and all kinds of other things does help with that. 
but it's not a game I love. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not as negative about it as you are, but I don't think that I would keep it in this upper echelon anymore. Okay. So, um, so that is Stop Thief. Anitra, what about, and this is a tough one, Prisma Arena. Oh, Prisma Arena definitely stays there at 9.5. There are a few very minor quibbles, but this game is great. Even for an arena fighting game, a skirmishing game, Prisma Arena does some things that are so unusual and so welcoming, I guess, friendly, that I 100% think this is a great game for balancing out that idea of like, if your kids really do want to like have a fighting beat em up kind of game, Prisma Arena is a super awesome way to do that. It gives them goals along the way of like, hey, you're going to get to do this stuff and you're going to get to level up. But in a way that is always reminding them that this is not about fighting, quote unquote. This is about training. This is about getting better. This is about hope and, you know, being a good guy. Yeah, I um, I really like a lot of those things, and I really, really enjoy them, and I, I absolutely support them. But Epic Alliances, I think, mechanically is smoother. Epic Alliances is really, really good. And it makes me, it just kind of makes me wonder. Because there's a little bit of, like, like, all the themes and stuff that you talked about, I totally agree with you, but there's a little bit of crunchy in the mechanics of Prisma Arena. Like with building up of of energy bars and and I'm not just talking about health, but like to be able to perform certain tasks. So like some of that stuff is kind of crunchy. So here's the thing. You're actually describing both games right now. I found that Epic Alliances at the highest difficulty level, quote unquote, was also really crunchy. But do you have those lower levels of difficulty, air quotes, yeah. in Prisma Arena? So the whole point of Prisma Arena is that, like, you're playing this game and you're leveling up, and leveling up gives you more powers and abilities, and they explicitly suggest in the rulebook that if you're playing against someone who's at a lower level than you, you strip out those extra powers and abilities and play at the same level. And so, kind of unstated in there, but implied, is that if this feels like too much, go back to your, your basic level where you just beat on each other and you don't do the extra crunchy things. See, I thought there was always still some of that whole energy buildup release stuff, even there, in the core game. So there is, but that's because it's not exclusively a one-on-one game. But that's, I think, what I mean. Like, Epic Alliances really can get down to just that, where you don't have to really get into a lot of that, like, timing, pull back, get ready, go forward. Like, it's less strategic in that way. And I just think it's a little smoother. Like, I'm not saying at all that Prismarine is a bad game. I do, I'm just saying that I think that there's a little bit more polish on the lower levels of gameplay with Epic Alliances. And that's the only reason why I'm looking at this and saying, like, is a nine good enough to represent my feelings about this game? Like, that's where I'm All at. All right, I, I, I can see why you say that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so still love the game, still think it's a great game. Uh, you're you're still 9.5. I'm still 9.5, if only because of the cool things that Prisma Arena does that no other game is doing. Yeah, and I, I do agree. Like, the locker, the whole locker system is so neat. Like, I love all that stuff. That stuff's great. So I don't really disagree with any of that, but yeah. All right, how about The Adventures of Robin Hood? So, <laughs> uh, I want to say super yes, but we can't get it back to the table. 
Yeah, we have not quite and I don't finished know why. the game. And I don't know why. I mean, one of the reasons why is because as game reviewers, we always have new stuff we have to play. But, our kid, but I've tried. And, and our kids are just like, no, 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 no. I, yeah, yeah, you know what I so think I it don't is? Know. I think that even though there is some narrative play going on, I think that it's feeling a little bit too samey. Yeah, just not quite enough in there to carry the whole length of the plot, maybe. I think that's what it is because... The gameplay loop is pretty consistently the same as you yeah. go along. And when you put it down for two weeks, you lose all the momentum of the narrative. Mm. And I think that's probably what's going on there. So I'm still thinking this is a 9. But maybe not a 9.5. Maybe not a 9.5 because the gameplay right. loop is not tight enough to keep people coming back to it. Like a, a truly great narrative game has both an excellent story and excellent gameplay that's not just clever, but it like draws you back. It into keeps it. you coming back. Like, it keeps yeah. you coming back. Yeah. And I think it works for me. Does it work for you? I think I think so. Yeah. But it doesn't have that draw. Just ha- like, doesn't have just quite enough quite draw. Enough. Yeah. Okay. So I think I have to say no on this one. But you know, if you're the kind of game group that is going to pound through it, then 100% you're fine, right? Because yeah. it is a good loop. It's just not every three weeks. Three times a year thing. or whatever. Right. Yeah. Right. Sure. Hey, Nitra. Yeah. How about Gutenberg? Okay, so we're now getting into games that we reviewed less than six months ago. Yeah. But Gutenberg is phenomenally good. It's really good. It's, it's so, so good. good. I am actually sad that our friend Dave reviewed this game because I want to play it more. <laughs> and it is in his collection now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. Good for Dave. <laughs> and the last one on the list, game we already talked about, uh, Sorcery and Epic Alliances. Obviously, I think this deserves the rating. I mean, we just reviewed it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, yeah, we can't so say we if it stands the test of time. Of separation, <laughs> but, you know, it's a tale as old as time. <laughs> Come back in uh, a year or so and we'll tell you what we feel about it then. I didn't even get like a real laugh out of you no. on that one. Come no, on. You get nothing. It was a Disney joke. I know it was. Whatever. So we also have a list of almost perfect snaps. There's even more of these. We There's are about 30 of out of time. Yeah. We don't have time to talk about these. But like we said before, head over to the show notes to check those out. And then you can weigh in on whether or not you agree. That yeah. is a great thing to talk about in the Family Gamers community. Yes. One quick note in making our big master list here. I was like, this is a lot of games. This is a lot of games that we've rated really, really highly. How many games is this? And then I compared. We have just done a lot of reviews. So if this feels like too many games, I will point out that even considering all of the almost perfect scores, this is only 12% of our game reviews. So this is one of those things when we talk about the difference between a good game and a great game and an excellent game. And also keep in mind, like there is some selection bias too. So if we're given a catalog and a publisher says, hey, let us know what you'd like to review. If there's a game that just looks like it's terrible or like our family is not going to enjoy it. Like we stay away from social deduction games, for example, because our family, generally speaking, doesn't, doesn't like, like those. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> we'll decline those or pass on a lot of those kinds of titles which kind of creates a selection bias, which means that generally speaking, the games that we are going to be reviewing are going to fall higher on those scales because we've kind of filtered out some of that stuff that would otherwise fall lower. Right. We also have reviewed games many times 
that we have reviewed so poorly that we've contacted the publisher and asked them if they even wanted us to publish the review. And sometimes they have declined. So only a handful of times there. Yeah, uh, but, but like, these yes. are things that skew the numbers, right? So I just figured it's worth mentioning because even though it's only 12%, 12% does kind of sound like a large number to me. And these are some of the reasons why it is. It's like one in nine. So it doesn't feel untoward. Me. I mean, I guess so, but like one in nine board games made are not almost perfect. I feel like I could pretty objectively say that. Oh, sure. Sure. And what I'm saying is that these are kind of the reasons why that is, right? Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Um, we would love to hear what you think about these games that we have kind of surfaced and talked about and also the other games that are in those show notes. There's lots of different ways that you can reach out to us to talk about those games or even ask about any other game that you might have remembered us talk about and you don't feel like looking it up on the website. You can absolutely reach out to us and ask what we think of it now. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, and on TikTok at FamilyGamersAA. Most importantly, you can ask those questions in the family gamers community which is at thefamilygamers.com slash community yeah or you can just go to facebook and search for the family gamers community yeah, to find there. you can also find our snap reviews including the review that was in this show sunset overwater pocket edition if you want to see some of those gorgeous pictures by going to youtube and searching for the family gamers you can do like our uh, friend alex and email us andrew at thefamilygamers.com anitra at thefamilygamers.com Check out our Family Gamers and Play Games with Your Kids merchandise. You can get t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, and more at thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch. If you are going to go to QsCon, if you're interested in going to QsCon, it would be amazing to see people in Family Gamers merchandise there. That would be amazing. That would yes. be unbelievable. Please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast if you like it. Tell your friends about the show and leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can send us weird foods to try on the show. For science! For science! Send those to The Family Gamers, 60 Auburn Street, number 528, Auburn, Massachusetts, 01501. Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. Head over to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers to learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you file up the victory points. All right, that's going to be it for us this week. Okay, this was a long one, but it was a good one. That was a big stack of games. It was almost perfect. It was almost perfect, thanks to you. All right, well, everybody, until next week, play, play games, games with your kids. kids.